Hey, everyone, and welcome to this edition of the Politically Incorrect Podcast. I'm Jim Williams, the Washington Bureau Chief of News Talk Florida. With us today, we have our usual panel of guests, and that, of course, would be Alan Steinberg in New York, Joe Henderson and Tom Jackson in the Tampa Bay area. And um, a couple of weeks ago, I did a column on the alt-right, and part of that column I uh, put in the history of um, the alt-right or extreme right, the John Birch Society. And I was somewhat taken to task by uh, a very learned and very passionate young man who was kind enough to uh, try to set me right there that perhaps I was being a little too hard and, and not accurate on that. And so, as is my want to do, uh, I always like to set this record straight and I always like to get everyone caught up on uh, what is going on, whether I'm right or whether I'm wrong in this particular case. And um, we are joined today by a guest. His name is Alex Newman. He's a writer for the New American Magazine. It's a uh, uh, a publication printed by the John Birch Society. You can read it online. Uh, I, I encourage you to go to uh, the online edition and read it. It's a very entertaining magazine. And uh, Alex, welcome to the uh, Politically Incorrect podcast. And uh, one other thing, and if Alex has to bolt quickly, it's only because his wife is expecting their fourth child. So uh, we all wish uh, Alex a wonderful and safe situation with he and his wife. We welcome him to the show. And Alex, um, again, thanks for coming on. And uh, when I uh, wrote the piece on the alt-right, it was one of those situations where I uh, put the John Birch aside in there as perhaps an extremist group when maybe I shouldn't have. Why don't you give uh, myself and, and some of our listeners a uh, a little bit of a background on the John Birch Society and where you guys stand in 2016. Uh, very good, Jim. Well, thank you so much for, for the opportunity to come on the show and talk about this. Uh, I should start off by saying I'm not an official spokesman or anything, but uh, I have worked for their magazine for uh, for quite a long time, and I've been uh, you know very familiar with them uh, since I was 18, actually, is when I first came across them. Uh, so, you know, I, I guess it depends on what you define as extreme. I, I would say that the John Birch Society's motto, uh, you know, less government, more responsibility, and with God's help, a better world, I don't think that's very extreme. And we take the position that uh, the U.S. Constitution is really a fine document, a, a wonderful uh, charter for our government, and that if it was obeyed, a lot of the problems that we have in our society would disappear. Um, not all, certainly, but many of them. And, uh, you know, these are we share really the views shared by the founders of America. And certainly in today's political climate, some people would say that those views uh, are extreme. You know, support for gun rights, uh, support for uh, states' rights, support for free speech and religious freedom and all these types of things. And I realize we're we're moving into kind of a new political climate and the center keeps shifting further and further to the left. But, uh, you know, I, I think if you look past the media spin, the media has um, for many years tried to demonize the John Birch Society, and I think very unfairly. Um, you know, I, I think people would find that they actually agree with us on a lot of things. You know, we, we stand for a non-interventionist foreign policy. Uh, you know, we disagreed with the Bush wars in Iraq, and just like we disagreed with Obama's wars in Libya. And, you know, you can go back and see a consistent record of that. 
And, you know, we're just a, a constitutionalist educational organization. The idea is that we need an informed electorate to be able to have a good Congress, to be able to have good constitutional policy coming out of Washington, D.C. And, you know, that would certainly mean if the Constitution was enforced that the federal government would have to dramatically shrink. Uh, you know, a lot of departments would have to be cut because there's no grant of authority for these issues in the Constitution for the federal government. That doesn't mean that they, these types of functions wouldn't exist anymore. They would just go back to the state level or the local level uh, or, you know, as the Tenth Amendment states explicitly, you know, back to the states or to the people. So that's basically, uh, you know, us in a nutshell. We try to expose um, people and forces that want to undermine freedom and constitutional government. And, uh, you know, people can go to the webpage and check out where we stand on individual issues, um, you know, whether it's gun rights or so-called free trade or the United Nations, any of those things. Our positions are very public. And, you know, there, it's, it's a very transparent organization. There's no, uh, you know, secret stuff. So if people look past the media spin, and I think this will resonate with a lot of people nowadays because of what they're trying to do to Donald Trump, what they did to the Tea Party, you know, just this incessant media demonization. But it's not really uh, grounded in reality. It's just smears for no purpose whatsoever. So I encourage people to do their own research and, and check it out on their own and come to their own conclusions. Well, Alex, that's why you're here, <laughs> to, mm -hmm. to, to give us an opportunity. Alex, one of the things that I had um, put in the article was that um, there seems seemed to be a history of non-exclusion especially going back to the 60s and the civil rights issues. Now, uh, again, uh, I'm willing to be told when I'm wrong, what's wrong. So my charge, and that probably the most damning charge to the Birch Society in my piece, was the lack of inclusion. Educate me on what has happened since the 1960s when the Birch Society was anti against the civil rights bill or movement and up into today. Sure. Uh, you know, I, I think that is one of the big myths associated with the John Birch Society that was propagated early on in the 60s. Uh, the idea that the JBS somehow was not inclusive. It's completely false. Uh, on the very first National Council, there was a prominent Jewish man. So, you know, people who say the society is anti-Semitic, they're just living in, you know, a delusional reality. That's not the case. And at the same time, you have others who criticize the society for not being anti-Jewish. Uh, and the same thing with, uh, you know, the people who believe that there's this big Catholic conspiracy. You know, the society doesn't agree with these kinds of divisive tactics. And, uh, you know, the society has received a lot of criticism over the years from across the political spectrum. Uh, often for contradictory things, like the, the Jewish issue is, I think, a very good example. We had Jews on the National Council. We had Jewish leaders. We still do to this day on the National Council. And then so on the one hand, you'll have uh, very deceptive voices in the media trying to associate the name of the John Birch Society with anti-Semitism. And then on the other hand, you'll have uh, you know anti-Jewish people saying, oh, you can't be part of the John Birch Society. They're too scared to talk about the Jews. And, uh, you know, it's, it's really quite silly. People should just look at the history for themselves. Now, the John Birch Society did oppose the Civil Rights Act, and it would continue to oppose the Civil Rights Act today. Uh, you know, it's important to note that so did most of the Democratic Party, but the John Birch Society opposed the Civil Rights Act out of constitutional concerns. And, uh, you know, this is hardly an extreme position. We had Senator Rand Paul come out recently and say the same thing, and Congressman Ron Paul, who's really a hero, uh, even among segments of the anti-war left, 
And it has nothing to do with racism. It has to do with respecting the U.S. Constitution. What powers did the states and the people delegate to the federal government when they agreed to submit to this Constitution? Is one of those powers the, the ability of the federal government to uh, tell businesses what to do and how to behave. And people should also, I mean, the John Birch Society was warning back then that this was going to lead to very serious problems. Now, Obama's uh, transgender decrees, right? He said that uh, every public school in the country needed to let uh, uh, boys and men use the girls' bathroom if they claimed to be a girl that day. Uh, you know, this all stems from the quote-unquote the Civil Rights Act. So I think there's valid concerns, and and for people to say that, oh, if you oppose the Civil Rights Act, you oppose civil rights, that is absolutely not true. Uh, the John Birch Society has had uh, black members from day one, and again, it, it, it received some criticism for this among racist voices, uh, but, you know, the John Birch Society opposes all forms of collectivism, so that means, uh, you know, it is opposed to racism by definition, because racism is at its core, collectivism, right? We're saying that one group is better or different from another group based on uh, really ridiculous characteristics and arbitrary characteristics like the melanin content of people's skin. And, uh, you know, the John Birch Society has always opposed that. And uh, one interesting little uh, factoid, uh, a prominent Bircher in Mississippi, uh, a reverend down there, uh, he actually played a big role in bringing down the Ku Klux Klan in Mississippi. He um, he infiltrated the Klan with... Uh, Working with the FBI, he got special permission from uh, the JBS because Klan membership was automatically, um, you know, resulted in you being expelled from the Birch Society. So he got special permission to do this, and he helped bring down uh, a lot of the senior Klan leaders, some of the people who were involved in the murders of these civil rights workers. So the JBS has, I, I think, a, a long and um, an interesting history, and I think it's something to be proud of, despite. Uh, you know, the, the distortions that some people who like to, to demonize the John Birch Society rely on. You're listening, of course, to Alex Newman, who's our guest. He's a writer for the New American Magazine, and uh, you can also read their online edition, which is printed daily. Gentlemen, would you like to ask Alex a question? Yeah, yeah Alex, two uh, questions, if I may. Uh, Alan oh, Steinberg ahead. to... Um, Go ahead, asking Alex Newman a question I'll on the Politically fast. Incorrect okay. podcast. Okay, uh, and I'm not accusing you of anti-Semitism or racism, Alex. I disagree with the society, but I always enjoy healthy debate. Uh, but two questions. Uh, what's your view of American support of Israel? And the second question is this. I will always be a strong proponent of the Civil Rights Acts of 1964, 65, and 68, but I actually did understand the Birch position. I disagree with it on public accommodations and housing. But how could the Birch Society in any way justify its position against the 1965 Civil Rights Act, which guaranteed voting rights to people throughout the nation? Uh, well, let me start with your first question on uh, the John Birch Society's position on Israel. Uh, actually, the John Birch Society does not take any formal positions on this, uh, but the John Birch Society has taken the position that uh, foreign aid is not constitutional. There's no uh, power delegated to the federal government to uh, to support foreign governments and to supply uh, you know foreign aid, and so that you know that would apply to the state of Israel just like it would apply to all of the state of Israel's enemies, you know, the, the many Arab mm -hmm. and Islamic governments that want to destroy them. And, uh, you know, Israel is uh, is a very, I, I've been there, actually, I, I love the country. I had an opportunity to go through the Knesset with the deputy speaker, and uh, I have a lot of friends in Israel. 
But, um, you know, Israel is a sovereign nation. They can, they're more than capable of taking care of themselves. They have a very powerful military. And, uh, you know, I really agree with Ron Paul and some of the people I spoke with in the Knesset, the Israeli lawmakers, that, uh, you know, American foreign aid to Israel, it comes with these strings attached. And then, you know, Washington, D.C. likes to try to tell the Israeli government what they need to do, you know, dismantle this settlement, impose this policy. And uh, frankly, I, I find that offensive. You know, it's not Washington, D.C.'s place to be telling Israel what to do. That's Israel's business. And the people, you know, Israel is a democratic society. They can sort these issues out for themselves. Um, and as for this, you know, the, the Civil Rights Act, the John Birch Society has always supported civil rights. And actually, many of our black members were leading the campaign to, uh, to oppose the Civil Rights Act. And this was, um, you know, very deliberate. So it's it's nothing to do with racism. It's to do with federal power. And, you know, even if we agree with, with a goal in the short term, you know, well, it would be nice if the federal government did this, we have to ask the question, is it constitutional? Because if we just let the federal government do anything we think is nice or might be good in the short term, if we let it go outside of the bounds of the Constitution, we set a very troubling precedent. Because if the Constitution does not restrain the federal government, then we basically have a government of unlimited powers. And I'm sure you've heard the, the expression, uh, you know, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. And we don't want a government with unlimited powers. The founders tried to create a strictly limited government with certain enumerated powers. And if the powers are not among those granted in the Constitution, they should not be exercised. And we have ways of amending the Constitution. You know, the Constitution provides for amendments. So if everybody agrees that something is important, we can certainly change the Constitution. And the Birch Society has supported constitutional amendments in the past, uh, not through the Article 5 CONCON uh, method, but through the traditional method. And, uh, you know, I think there's very many amendments today that most Birchers would support, including repealing some of the amendments, like maybe the uh, 16th and 17th. So, uh, you know, these are all complicated issues, and I, I appreciate the opportunity to talk on them. Uh, I just, you know, I, I sometimes get uh, disheartened with the way some people in the media try to uh, you know, just smear the society. So, so thanks for the opportunity to address these questions. No problem, Alex. Uh, gentlemen, anyone else for a question with Alex? I'm good. Tom, I thought you were going to jump in there for a second. Well, I I, I was going to jump in. I we in our in our pre-show uh, interview, we talked a little bit about whether the uh, the Birch Society endorses presidents, and we were we were giving a, a nice tutorial on that. Um, Alex, run through that again. You guys don't endorse presidential candidates, right? We don't. Actually, we, we never have endorsed candidates, and we never will. Uh, and there's a number of reasons for that. Uh, we don't even endorse candidates that are members of the Birch Society. Uh, you know, our, our chairman, uh, until he was uh, his airplane was shot down by the Soviet military, uh, was actually a congressman from Georgia. And even then, you know, the Birch Society does not endorse candidates. So uh, I, I think it's a wise policy, you know, especially when you're dealing with politicians. They might sound great on the campaign trail, then they might get into Washington and stab the voters in the back. But we don't want to be responsible for that. And the goal of the Birch Society is really to create an informed electorate. So, you know, politics is almost uh, outside of the scope of what we do. We try to educate uh, communities and local opinion molders and certainly congressmen and state legislatures and so on. On, uh, on the U.S. Constitution, on the threats to American freedom, on some of the dangers of globalism. And I think the John Birch Society has been very successful in that respect. But, uh, you know, getting involved in, in politics per se by endorsing or opposing candidates, it's beyond the scope of what the society does. Alex, having, I have a follow-up a... question. I, I, oh, go I, ahead. I'm as sorry. do I. As do I. <laughs> 
No, um, I, had Tom. I got one have, too. <laughs> have, having having established that um, among the four that are most most often mentioned this year, uh, Trump, Clinton, uh, Johnson, and and Dr. Jill. Is there one that you think, without making an endorsement, is there one that you think most closely fits the idea of what a president ought to be in the society's opinion? Well, you know, there has been uh, one candidate that has really um, emphasized the Constitution, and that's, of course, the Constitution Party. It's a minor party. And I know for a fact that some Birchers will vote, vote for the Constitution Party. Uh, I also know that there's a lot of Birchers who support Donald Trump. Uh, and that's not because they agree with him on everything, but, uh, you know, he has taken some positions that uh, in some ways are similar to those of the Birch Society. For example, we have a, a campaign now, and we've been on this campaign for, for decades, to stop these pseudo-free trade agreements that surrender U.S. sovereignty. Uh, the Trans-Pacific Partnership is, of course, the most recent example, and Donald Trump has come out swinging against that. And, you know, it's so unpopular that Hillary Clinton has also had to come out against it now, but Trump has really made that a big issue. And uh, enforcing immigration laws, too. Uh, you know, I think um, a lot of members of the society do believe that we should have uh, proper immigration enforcement, that we should try to control our borders, that we shouldn't uh, you know, just have uh, a free-for-all down at the border with everyone and anyone coming in. And you know, the current situation, I think, is uh, really untenable. And I think almost everybody acknowledges that, even the Democratic Party and, and the Democrat candidates. So, you know, in, in those, and he's also said, uh, you know, some interesting things about maybe uh, getting out of the UN, canceling the UN Paris Agreement, which we think would be, uh, uh, you know, generally a very good thing, especially since it was ratified in uh, in an illegal manner, just with uh, Obama's pen rather than through the Senate. Uh, and of course, you know, the, the foreign policy too, you know, he has emphasized this foreign policy of America first. We want to stop the nation building. You know, America is almost bankrupt. We're 20 trillion in debt. How many more nations are we going to destroy? And then, uh, you know, go in with our military for 10 years or whatever to rebuild them. It doesn't make any sense. So in that respect, I think Trump has uh, has motivated a lot of Birchers. And certainly, you know, I, I can't think of any two Birchers who agree on everything. And certainly there's a lot of disagreements with Trump. But uh, also the way the, that the establishment has just kind of ripped off the mask and is just going, you know, full force against Trump, I think that really has uh, animated a lot of Birchers too because, you know, we've been on the receiving end of, uh, the attacks by this establishment for you know, generations now. So, uh, you know, I, I don't think there's too many Birchers supporting Hillary Clinton uh, or uh, Jill Stein. Certainly there are some who are supporting Gary Johnson, although he's taken, uh, you know, at least what I consider to be some very unlibertarian positions, uh, you know, forced vaccinations, carbon tax, uh, things like that, pro-TPP, et cetera. But, you know, there's a wide variety of views within the society, so... Yeah, that's right, Alex right. Newman, who's our guest. He's a writer for the New American Magazine. It's a daily online edition uh, that you can read, and I encourage you to go out and, and check out um, the magazine. And uh, you're listening to the Politically Incorrect podcast right here on NewstalkFlorida.com, BlogTalkRadio.com. Uh, you just heard from Tom Jackson, who asked uh, Alex a question. I believe, Joe Henderson, you have a question as well? Yeah, I do. Um, would, curious how you balance uh, uh, the the notion that that states' rights, um, you the emphasis you put on that against the Fourteenth Amendment, which is designed to uh, protect uh, people who were basically being disenfranchised by the state uh, in 1868, former slaves. 
and it and as we saw going forward um you know your opposition to the uh, civil rights amendment is is odd in that regard because the states were uh, prohibiting blacks from going to college they were you know, you know all the issues so how do you how do you justify your opposition to that based on you know the constitutional question well i i think the the big issue here is the 10th amendment to the constitution it's very clear it says that all powers not delegated to the united states are reserved to the states or to the people respectively and uh, i think that needs to be kept in mind now uh, you know, of course, the the Birch Society, again, as being opposed to collectivism, opposes any sort of, uh, you know, racial discrimination that, you know, strikes at the heart of what it is to be an American, is to be opposed to, uh, you know, collectivism and discrimination and that sort of thing. But to have the federal government uh, hijacking control over state policy uh, leads to many problems. And, you know, we can see these today. I just, you know, take any issue and look at the federal involvement in it. And look at the disaster it has caused. They just look at Common Core, for example. You know, so we might say, well, you know, wouldn't it be nice if the federal government would step in and do such and such thing? And maybe such and such thing is a good thing. You know, maybe 100% of Birchers agree with that. But if it's not a constitutional power delegated to the federal government by the Constitution, it is illegitimate for the federal government to exercise that power. Uh, that doesn't mean that uh, you know we impose we oppose the goal in question. We oppose the means of achieving that goal. And you know it might sound nice again to say, well, let's just ignore the Constitution on this one issue because it's so important that uh, you know such and such happen. But when we start allowing that precedent, and you know, unfortunately, that's been the case in in American politics for uh, for decades, for generations now. When we start allowing that precedent to take hold, we open the door for. Uh, you know, unlimited government. And that's a very dangerous thing. History has shown us the danger of having governments that can do anything they want. And again, if, if people in the country agree that something is so important that the federal government should be in charge of it or that something is, uh, you know, crosses state boundaries and it's something that ought to be a federal responsibility, we have an amendment process to amend the Constitution. We've amended the Constitution as a nation many times in the past. And so when it is amended, uh, you know, that's the new Constitution, and that's uh, that should be respected also. So I think those things are all important to keep in mind. Uh, you know, I'm certainly not an expert on the 60s. You know, I, I just turned 30, so that was a, a long time before my time, and I don't claim to know everything about it. But, uh, you know, I, I think when you have a question about the society's position, just go back to the Constitution. If the Constitution does not give the federal government that power, uh, then the society opposes the federal government exercising that power. Well, Alan the, in this case, oh, go ahead, Joe. No, let me jump in. in. In this case, the Constitution does grant the federal government that power. And, you know, I lived through the 60s. I'm old enough to, to do that. I think uh, most of our panelists would at least re recall portions of it. Uh, George Wallace uh, refusing to admit blacks uh, to the University of Alabama, uh, standing in the courthouse door, standing in the schoolhouse door. Uh, basically saying that uh, black Americans then did not have the equal protection uh, that the white citizens did. And that did require a federal response. And that's what they got. And it was granted under the Constitution. Uh, well, you know, again, I'm not an expert in this field. If the power was constitutional, then, uh, and I don't know that the John Birch Society opposed that. 
uh, you know, again, the John Birch Society does not support individual politicians. So if the, the implication is that the John Birch Society supported uh, the Democrat uh, Wallace, uh, you know, of course, that's that's not true because the John Birch Society never supports um, specific politicians. But, uh, you know, I, maybe the best thing for me to do would be to look into this issue further and then get back to you because, uh, you know, you can ask, you can talk to any of the black members of the society. I spoke at their uh, at the society's 50th anniversary dinner, and uh, we had a number of wonderful black Americans who gave speeches also, uh, very well-known and very prominent pastors who are proud of their membership in the society. So, uh, you know, any implication that the society does something out of racism is simply false. Uh, you know, the, the National Council, the leadership of the society, the chapter leaders come from all races and all creeds. Uh, you know, regardless of the, the flack we get by uh, haters, we're, we welcome Mormons and Masons and Catholics and Jews. And uh, again, the society is specifically opposed to collectivism in all forms. So, uh, you know, accusing the society of supporting some kind of collectivist policy, uh, it, it just doesn't square with reality. You know, I've, I've been involved with the society for uh, maybe a decade now. And uh, I've never met a, a member who could be described as collectivist or racist or anything like that. And in fact, the society immediately expels people who express such views. So if someone says something in public that's racist or anti-Semitic, they immediately get their membership card revoked. They get a red star next to their name so that they can't join again later. And, uh, you know, the society has exercised uh, that power on many occasions. We've expelled, uh, you know, congressmen and, and very prominent people who express, uh, you know, views that are not compatible with uh, the anti-collectivist, anti-racist position of the John Birch Society. Alex, I have a quick uh, question. Uh, given the, uh, your views, your positive views of Donald Trump, yet your opposition to uh, deep interference by the federal government, how did you feel today when Donald Trump came out for enforced paid family leave? Uh, I was not aware that he came out in favor of that today. Oh, I yeah. certainly opposed that because that is not uh, – that's, you know, and, and I would say um, uh, I have many disagreements with uh, some of the policy positions that Trump has articulated. Uh, some of them, you know, very serious disagreements, almost disagreements to the point where I wouldn't consider voting for him. So, um, you know, I, I sympathize with the attacks uh, that are being waged against him because, you know, again, uh, the, the media and the establishment has a, a tendency to attack people using falsehoods and demonizations. But I, I would certainly never claim to agree with Donald Trump on all of his policies, not by any means. And uh, the, the one that you just um, articulated, uh, that would certainly be something I would oppose, uh, with, at least without a proper constitutional amendment. That's not the role of the federal government to do that. And, you know, I could cite a long list of policies that he's mentioned that uh, I feel the same way on. So it's... Uh, you know, it's one of the reasons why the society never endorses candidates, right? We might end up with an egg on our face later. So, Well, I'll leave you with this. Uh, I remember when the Burt Society, I'm 66, and like Joe, I remember the 1960s very well. And I remember when the Burt Society was really at the height of its uh, influence. It was in 1964 uh, when Barry Goldwater, who was not a member of the Burt Society, was often questioned regarding his views on them. He was Mr. Conservative. He was a person I admired very much. But anyway, he picked as the national chair of the Republican Committee at the convention, he picked a man by the name of Dean Birch, B-U-R-C-H. And the joke was that the Republican Party was now the Dean Birch Society. So a little play on words. Yep. Uh, and, you know, they tried to get Goldwater to denounce the John Birch Society, and uh, he responded, I think, very appropriately. He said, that, you know, extremism in defense of liberty is no virtue, um, or is no vice. No vice. And, uh, it, right. And so I, I think he did very well. And, you know, I, I think uh, over time, uh, you know, 
the the Birch Society has been proven correct. And you know, when there was that spat with uh, uh, William Buckley, for example, you know, who was a member of the Council on Foreign Relations, this the same establishment that I've been talking about, uh, also a member of uh, you know Skull and Bones at Yale, like Kerry and Bush, uh, you know, he he tried to attack the society and. I think responsible uh, conservatives uh, oppose that. If you look, for example, at Phyllis Schlafly, who, uh, you know, without a doubt was one of the most influential conservative leaders of the last century, uh, she sent Buckley a letter and said, hey, I'm, I want to quit my subscription to your magazine. Please send the refund uh, either to Robert Welch, the founder of the John Birch Society, or to the Pope. And, uh, you know, that continues all the way to the modern day. If you look at uh, Alex Jones, for example, just a year or two ago, he was on his radio show, and, and I go on there regularly, saying, uh, hey, everybody should join the, the Birch Society. It is the best organization out there getting out truthful information. So, you know, yeah, the media likes to demonize us, and that certainly has an effect on some small subset of the population. I think the polls show, uh, you know, 6% of Americans trust the media. But, uh, you know, in, in real America, outside of, uh, you know, the Washington, D.C., Beltway, and, and maybe New York, uh, you know, the, the Birch Society is well-respected and has been known uh, you know, for 50 years to be spreading the truth. And we quickly correct ourselves when we make an error. You know, nobody's perfect. Sometimes, uh, you know, a fact error will get into our magazine, and then we immediately run a correction because our interest, again, is, is in using the truth to educate the electorate. Alex Newman, our guest, a writer for the New American Magazine. You can read it in its daily online edition. Uh, we appreciate Alex being here today and giving us an insight into the John Birch Society. And Alex, uh, we, we thank you very much for coming. We thank you very much for joining us here on our first segment. Alex, how can people get in touch with you? How can they follow you on social media? And how else can they read what you uh, write? Hey, well, thank you very much for the opportunity. Uh, I write a lot at The New American, uh, at, at the print magazine and the website, which is thenewamerican.com. Uh, I also write for other publications, uh, World Net Daily, and a lot of uh, you know conservative and Christian uh, publications. If people want to follow me on Twitter, it's uh, Alex Newman underscore J O U, and uh, my email address is posted either at the top or at the bottom of my articles on different media outlets, so people can just use their favorite search engine and look me up. Alex, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks so much for uh, giving us your information with regard to the John Birch Society. And uh, I hope that you uh, come back and visit us from time to time. And uh, we try to be fair here. That's uh, all I can tell you. We we give everybody an opportunity to uh, to say it in their own words and let our readers and listeners decide on their own without uh, us trying to. I mean, we the, the it's not like the four of us don't have opinions. But in this particular yeah. case, I think it's always important to let people have their uh, say and uh, and say it in their own words. Hey, well, thank you so much for the opportunity, Jim. I really appreciate it, and I appreciate the respectful tone and the great panel. Uh, so thank you guys very much, and I'd be happy to come back and join you uh, anytime. Just send me a note. You have my contact information, and thanks again for the opportunity. Anytime, Alex. That's Alex right. Newman, thanks, guys. America, New American Magazine. Well, tell you what, before we get uh, on to the um, situation at hand with what's going on in politics this week, uh, we're going to step aside, we're going to take a break, pay some bills, and then we'll be right back to talk about what's going on on politics this week. You're listening to the Politically Incorrect Podcast. I'm Jim Williams, your host, the Washington Bureau Chief of News Talk Florida, joined, of course, by Alan Steinberg, Joe Henderson, Tom Jackson. You're listening to us on 
NewstalkFlorida.com, BlogTalkRadio.com. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back to the Politically Incorrect Podcast. I'm Jim Williams, along with Tom Jackson, Joe Henderson, and Alan Steinberg. And guys, uh, very interesting um, information from Alex Newman. I thought it would be fun to have him on and uh, get the the take from him on uh, the John Birch Society. And while I still disagree with it, I, I think it's important to let them... Uh, uh, have their say and let everyone have a chance to listen and to read from their standpoint, and we'll we'll let it go from there. Uh, why don't we take a deep breath? And it's not like there's nothing to talk about. Uh, all kinds of crazy things. Now, in our pre-meeting, Alan Steinberg came rushing through the, the door, screaming that he had stuff coming at him from all sides and from Washington, D.C. So, Alan, since uh, it seems like you've got some things hot off the presses, and everybody, by the way, has uh, an article up on uh, NewstalkFlorida.com, so please run out there and and, uh, definitely read it. Mr. Steinberg, you're up first. What I get from my Washington contacts is a strong sense of Obama's focus on Hillary Clinton's illness. Now, Barack Obama is definitely strongly backing Hillary Clinton for the presidency, and uh, he is very hopeful that she makes a complete and rapid recovery. However, his biggest priority is the defeat of Donald Trump. This is an absolute mission with him. And right now, Barack Obama, whether one likes or dislikes him, he is at the height of his popularity. And the good economic news that came out today, whether one feels it's meaningful or not regarding income levels, uh, this is going to propel him over 60%. He is the most popular president, uh, and even more popular than Bill Clinton at his height. Now, he wants to use that popularity to benefit Hillary Clinton. However, uh, there is concern not only on his part, but on his close political allies, that if she was to have another episode like the one she had on Sunday, you know, with the... uh, pneumonia, uh, that this would uh, perhaps fatally damage her against Donald Trump. Uh, and so they are going to be looking very closely at how her health is at the end of the week and what assurances the doctors can give them. Now, this is not something I have directly from the Obama people, but this is the way people are viewing things. David Axelrod was on Twitter last night, and he was very critical of the lack of t- transparency, as he put it, on the part of the Clintons. Very critical. Now, David Axelrod, uh, whose political savvy I respect highly, is not a free agent. He's working with the Obama coterie. Now, what was interesting is one person I don't have a high regard for, uh, Kellyanne Conway, goes, you're right, you're right, David. And he proceeded to absolutely blast Donald Trump as well. David's a smart guy. Now, I think that's a signal they're sending out that, you know, they want Hillary to win. But if they become convinced that somehow she's become uh, unelectable because of this illness. I would not be surprised, given the priority they attach to uh, defeating Trump, I would not be surprised, and there's talk of this, uh, in fact, that a few prominent Democrats last night said we need a contingency plan. Uh, Dan Fowler, the former DNC chair, said this, in case she uh, can't uh, fully devote her energy to the campaign. Uh, When they're talking about a contingency plan, They're talking about the possibility that she may not be able to do it. And I think you would see the Obama people, who have a lot of influence, operating to get her to exit 
And I think yeah, while they might have a preference for Joe Biden to come in, Tim Kaine has been the star of the campaign thus far. He's had the best reviews of any of the four candidates. And I think Donald, I think he's Donald Trump's nightmare. Uh, Donald Trump does not want to see Hillary Clinton drop out. If he has to run against someone like Tim Kaine with no baggage at all, he's facing not just a landslide, he's facing an avalanche. That's a lot to take in. Um, <laughs> yeah, it is. I, I, need, I, I need a drink after that. I yeah, don't know. I needed a drink after I heard all this from Washington. <laughs> I, I haven't heard a lot of that. I mean, I've heard rumors to that effect. And uh, I uh, I don't – look, if she had walking pneumonia, uh, I mean, uh, that's that's not something – I mean, it'd be – God forbid it was something like she were, she had some sort of terrible disease. Uh, pneumonia can be bad. Don't get me wrong. Of course, people have died from pneumonia, but I, I I don't see pneumonia, especially walking pneumonia, as being something so debilitating that uh, that it would uh, cause her to, uh, in any way, shape, or form, allow uh, President Obama from you know and the Democratic um, hierarchy from getting her out. I, I mean. This is Hillary Clinton. It would take the jaws of death to pull her out of uh, out of this campaign. I just don't see that happening. Although, Alan, it's, it's a very entertaining and very interesting uh, possibility. That's for sure. Uh, well, Tom I'm not would... saying I agree with you, but yeah. at the same time, what I'm saying is that uh, if and I don't want it to be more. I'm supporting her, but if there is some serious news that gets out that indicates she might have a relapse, uh, Katie, bar the door. Who knows what will happen? Well, yeah, if I can jump in here for a second, ahead, it, would be, it would be utter chaos. Uh, despite President Obama may have a, a preference for Joe Biden or they're, they're like you mentioned, uh, Tim Kaine, here's the reality. You, you wake up the Bernie Sanders people again. Uh, what if Joe Biden decides he does want it and, and the, the power structure has 48 hours at the most to make a decision are we going to back him or are we going to back Tim Kaine? If so, who do we choose for vice president? What do we do about the uh, the Bernie people? Uh, I think it becomes uh, a nightmare that is unrecoverable for the Democrats. Joe, I, I think it's it, it clearly is obvious. I mean, really. Uh, if that's the scenario, then I think we all know. And this is something that really in Florida would probably play interestingly. I think at that point the Democrats go after and and would probably draft Debbie Wasserman Schultz as their as their uh, <laughs> as their yeah, candidate with uh, Nancy Pelosi as VP. Okay, yeah, well, no, but I, I will tell you something. No joke. They would feel they if they have a man be a, take Hillary Clinton's place, they would feel they needed a woman for vice president, and I think that would be Elizabeth Warren. I've heard talk of that too. I know this is all talk, but I'm not dismissing it because we don't know yet. What is the real state of Hillary's health? Jesus, Alan, have you been reading, have you been reading Breitbart? What's going on here? I mean, this is... no, 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 no. I, I am a Hillary supporter. I don't no, no, I know that. I, I know, I'm, and I'm not. I'm not, I'm just playing with you. But I, I mean, it's just. Uh... But I'm really afraid. I, I am afraid because be very afraid. Uh, no, I am because I hope that it is nothing worse than walking pneumonia. Yeah. The way her staff handled this, it was a catastrophe. The way they handled this. And not taking her to the emergency room, 
And all that does, she now she may, she may have a transparency problem worse than the health problem. But we're oh, going to know by true. the end of the week. Yeah, true. Tom Jackson, you've been very quiet. There's a, there's, you've been knitting over there. I, What's going I'm, on? I'm just, I'm just, I'm just being entertained by you guys. Uh, and and, there, and in fact, there is a there's a pretty good column up on uh, News Talk Florida right now uh, about the fact that uh, Hillary's transparency problems are giving her uh, more problems than her health. And and it's not one by me. It's the it's the it's Joe's column, and uh, it's it's a must read. I think. Yeah, absolutely. I I just I just like to say if Democrats get a mulligan, Republicans deserve a mulligan too. That's all I'm saying. If if you if Democrats get a new candidate at the top of their ticket, by golly, I want I want a redo. I want a redo. Who's your uh, mulligan? I agree. Hey Tommy, who's your mulligan? I'll get back. I, I Marco Rubio. I don't care. Um, give give Patrick Murphy that. Uh, that that seat in the Senate. If I can get uh, Marco back at the top of the ticket, uh, I it, it, get to bring 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 Governor Perry off the Dancing with the Stars stage. I mean, we could we could do there 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 are 16 people who would be better than Donald Trump, who showed his new showed afresh his his non-conservative colors today. Uh, announcing this new uh, new plan for for uh, paid leave, paid medical leave or, or paid per, uh, maternity leave uh, that he's going to pay for by by doing away with the uh, fraud and abuse, waste fraud and abuse, <laughs> which is what which is what they always say, which is what politicians <laughs> always say when they want a program and they don't have a way to pay for it. We're going to get rid of waste, fraud and abuse. That's no, so he's going to make Mexico pay for it, along with the wall. <laughs> oh man! Make Brazil pay for it. They, they came up with the one idea. thing you said, Tom. Tom, there's one exception. Yeah. I agree with everything you said except for one. There was one of those 16 candidates that was even worse than Donald Trump. His initials are Chris Christie, the worst governor I've ever seen in New Jersey <laughs> in my lifetime. Here, here. And yet he would be better. He would be better. Well, has anybody considered this? We've watched the polls tighten up here in the last couple of weeks, right? Yeah. And everybody, everybody's going, how is Hillary not blowing this guy out of the water, right? The better question is, with, with all of her screw-ups, how is Donald Trump not 10 points ahead? Well, you know because what's interesting that about that, Joe? What's that? You make a good point, but if you look at the Washington Post poll, on Sunday, the race was tightening up a lot less than people think, and that's the best of all the. Uh, that's a poll that Nate Silver, for whom I have right. high regard, ranks yeah. as the best of the media polls. That poll had her one on one, eight points ahead of Trump, which is a very good margin among likely voters, and ten points ahead among registered voters. And I don't really pay attention that much to the polls that have Gary Johnson in them because. I think at the end of the campaign, you're going to see Gary Johnson and Jill Stein, their numbers go through the floor because voters aren't going to want to waste their votes. Uh, but having, having said that, uh, I think that uh, she deserves credit for maintaining the lead. Yeah, basically, I think that Larry Sabato put it best. She lost a lot of her post-convention bounce, but that happens to everybody. Uh, I had no worries about her election at all until this health crisis arose and and this does have me worried even though i wrote an article 
I wrote an article yesterday. I'm just uh, having a sympathetic cough to Hillary. I wrote an article uh, on the News Talk Florida website saying how candidates in the past have rebounded from health problems. Look at Dwight Eisenhower having a heart attack in 1955 and then an ileitis attack in 1956 and then going out and absolutely flattening Adlai Stevenson, winning 41 out of 48 states, uh, getting 457 electoral votes. But if there are concerns that this could happen to her again, I think that would have a very substantial negative effect on her popularity. And Obama right now is just on a mission to defeat Donald Trump. Well, that was Alan Steinberg, um, Joe Henderson, Tom Jackson. I'm Jim Williams, your host from News Talk Florida. You're listening to us, uh, obviously, on News Talk Florida and on blogtalkradio.com. Wow. What a what a what a wild eight minutes uh, we've had here. I, uh, well, we're wild guys. Yeah, clearly, clearly, uh, man. Uh, we got Tom is on the phone, by the way, calling Marco Rubio right now, saying that uh, there's if there's a chance, please God, give him uh, give him Marco there's Rubio. An, yeah, there's an angle to play here. We got, we got a chance. We got right, a chance. You, you got him on speakerphone. No. Can we talk to him, Tom? <laughs> I want to bring back George Smathers. (laughs) George, great, brilliant. Uh, George Smathers, yes. (laughs) Okay, well, I just, I'm sorry. There's a, I got a phone call from Martin O'Malley here. Uh, Hold on, just a second. (laughs) Martin, he's available. The governor's available. He lives down the street from me. Yeah, yeah, okay. Um, All right, well, I'll tell you what. I think this is a very good time uh, to to have last call here. it's this is a this is a lot to take in um the possibility of Hillary Clinton being removed or or stepping aside or um being exiled to another country by the democrats uh, and someone else te- taking her place meanwhile Tom Jackson has been kind enough to save the Americans and the Republican party by calling his buddy Marco Rubio and, and offering him up as a as a mulligan over Donald Trump. So basically, the four of us have worked diligently over the last eight minutes to overthrow both parties. Um, well done on us, huh? How about that? Tough so, job, but somebody's going to do it. It's that somebody <laughs> had to bring sanity to this party, and we're going to do it, damn it, if, we, if it takes – you know, if it takes constitutional situations, possibly this whole thing was spurred by our John Birch buddy who came on uh, earlier. Uh, anyway. Hey, Tom, you didn't call him. Tom, you didn't call him Little Marco, did you? That's L I D D L E, Little, Little Marcus. Little. <laughs> it's okay. All right, China. boys. Boy, this is, this is, uh, this is, we're having a lot of fun today. This is a good thing. We are. Sometimes it's good to have fun. Um, and on that note, how about uh, we wrap it up so we can all – it's going to be 5 o'clock somewhere soon, and I think it's time that we have uh, a little a little uh, adult beverage and uh, calm down here as we get ready. So, guys, how about we talk a little bit now about uh, your, your, your final thoughts on this week, and uh, Alan – you got us going, so I'll give you first shot at uh, how you think this is going to play out uh, over the next couple of days. 
we have to find out what Hillary's health problems are. But I, I disagree with the conventional wisdom about her uh, talking about uh, the deplorables. Uh, I think uh, she never should have said 50%, but I think she's right to call out racists and bigots among the supporters of uh, Donald Trump. Most of them are not, but many of them are, and I think she was right to call that out. And I think she could take turn that to her advantage with the commercial uh, she just came out with. In terms of uh, you know Trump, I think he's uh, he had a terrible week last week that everyone overlooks with uh, the fight with the generals and uh, his uh, love affair with uh, Putin. So uh, we got to first find out what's going on with her health problems before we really have a complete gauge. But if she shows up at the debate and she looks good and she performs well, uh, she can totally uh, uh, place aside the uh, health concerns. Joseph. Well, I'm going to be paying attention uh, over the next several days to the state of North Carolina, which is um, really a kind of hand-to-hand combat for votes there. And in light of the NCAA pulling seven uh, events out of the state uh, over the uh, transgender uh, restroom issue, um, it's going to be very interesting to me to see which way that plays uh, with the voters. Do uh, do they react negatively uh, to the quote-unquote liberals uh, on on the, on the one side of this issue and uh, stampede toward the Republicans, or is it or is it vice versa? I think um, we may have just seen the tipping point in a key state uh, reached by the governing body of college athletics who who would have guessed what are the chances the ncaa actually getting something right well uh they are being blasted by the uh by the state uh, top politicians in north carolina today and uh it's it's being um certainly uh, played as a as a kind of a you know political correctness run amok. Uh, I don't think it's political correctness what uh, North Carolina was trying to do there. I think it was just correct. And uh, then the uh, the state legislature itself went in and over uh, overrid overrode the uh, the will of people of Charlotte. But that's a that's a long uh, discussion for another day. I'm just going to watch and see what happens in North Carolina. I know somewhere Gary Williams is having a big laugh that all of the Carol all of the uh, NCAA tournaments were being pulled out of North Carolina. There you go, Tom. What's up? Are you off the phone I, with I Marco know, yet? Uh, we we postponed. We're going to talk again later. Okay. Uh, good. I, I I know where our our new friend from the John Birch Society, Alex Newman, would come down on what's going on in North Carolina. Uh, to, to go back, I mean, what happened in North Carolina, to to remind listeners, is Charlotte City Council passed a law that said, passed an ordinance that said that even private businesses would have to make accommodations for people who were uh, who, who were transgender. And that was going to be an, a, potentially an enormous cost to people who, who have businesses in Charlotte. And so the, the state legislature stepped in and said no private businesses don't have to make accommodations except for those people who have had their birth certificate changed, who've gone through transgender reassignment surgery and have had their birth certificate changed. Otherwise, they need to 
go to their the, to the bathroom or their to the locker room that they were assigned at birth. And I and I'm not real sure that that's that that's a major problem. I I, I I'm getting a lot of stuff wrong these days. But uh, telling telling uh, private businesses that they need to make accommodations um, by by ordinance um, strikes me as as a dangerous path to go down. Um, and if the and if the NCAA wants to strip uh, strip North Carolina of uh, of its of its several uh, regional and championships that it was going to be holding, um, I can't I, I can't wait for the for the NCAA to start making rulings uh, that that combine men and women's teams, uh, let men play on women's teams, that sort of thing. I mean, I, I know that's a, a crazy slippery slope sort of argument, but I think that's it's not an illogical destination when you start telling private businesses that they have to accommodate people of different sexes in locker rooms and bathrooms. That's a long, that's a, that is a far cry. That is a far cry from saying that we have to have racial equality in, in all public accommodation. Uh, I, I just, I, I'm sort of on North Carolina's side on this and if they take a hit for now then, and they're willing to do it, God bless them. Uh, as for as for Alan's original thought on deplorables, you know exactly. I, I, my piece on uh, my my piece on News Talk Florida addresses that today. Um, and yes, we have to stipulate that there is a certain percentage of uh, racist, bigots, homophobes, and and the rest, uh, xenophobes who do uh, support Donald Trump, and th- those need to be those people need to be. Uh, isolated and identified and, and perhaps re-educated if, if we possibly can. Um, but for her to, to, to put the number at 50% and then do something other than walk it back to a to – a, to a, it's probably more like 3 or 4 or 5% if it's that. Uh, for her to, to, to not really apologize for that and to call them irredeemable, you know what? Even Lincoln didn't call the Confederate soldiers – who carried out a treason for five for four years against the United States? He thought that those people were redeemable, and he wanted to patch up the wounds of the nation. Uh, that doesn't seem to be something that Hillary Clinton wants to do, because after all, she is proud to have made Republicans her enemy. Well, I mean, come on. That was part of the. If you looked at the side effects of the medication she was taking for her walking pneumonia and we've all seen the ads one of the side effects is sometimes overestimating deplorables okay it's just one of the side effects of most of the medications that you have to take when you're on i've, I've, you know, I've never read a, an antibiotic pill bottle that closely I'm, I'm gonna have to the next time i get sick i'm gonna have to look at my z-pack and, and see if it says you will you will exaggerate under the influence of this drug exactly you're going to exaggerate deplorables it's if you look at it it's like seven down on the list but you know what okay. it it's something you got to pay attention to that's all i'm saying you know don't ta- don't ever give speeches when you're on antibiotics nothing good will ever happen from that well look aim into that there you go. We have gone off the rails, folks. Okay. You know, sometimes it's good to go off the rails, Joe. All right. Speaking of which, let's uh, let's tell people how they can get in whole, uh, you know, in touch with us on Twitter because, and social media because I'm sure they're going to want to do that right after the show. So um, go ahead, Joe. You can uh, tell us first. 
how do how do we find you on social media? Um, you can find me on Facebook at Joe Henderson Commentary Columns and Such, or you can find me on Twitter at the initial J Henderson Tampa. Alan. Alan. Alan once. Alan oh, twice. I'm sorry, I'm here. I apologize. <laughs> uh, he had us. He had us on a, mute. I, 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 yes, I was on mute because I didn't want to interfere. No, uh, you're fine. I was listening. Okay. Uh, I am on uh, Facebook at Alan Joel Steinberg. I am at Twitter at a Steinberg six thirteen. And I just want to say quickly uh, that I take one of the drugs that Hillary uh, Clinton takes, Coumadin. And I think you guys are lovely and far from being deplorable. <laughs> Thank you, Alan. And, and that's no exaggeration. There you go, Tom. Uh, none. I never exaggerate, do I? No. Not a <laughs> million. Silence is deafening. <laughs> right. Uh, Tom so Jackson. Fi- uh, you can find Tom Jackson at Tom Jackson Journalist Entrepreneur. You can also find me on Twitter at Thomas Jacks Tampa, T-H-O-M-A-S-J-A-X, Tampa. Okay. Well, that leaves me. And you can find me, Jim Williams, your humble host, uh, at N-T-F-L-A underscore politics. That's N-T-F-L-A underscore politics. You can find all of us on News Talk Florida. We all have columns up there, and you should read them because, you know, they're good stuff. And... They'll keep you thinking, and if you're on medication, it'll even be better, okay? So there you go. Uh, You have been listening to the Politically Incorrect podcast on Newstalkflorida.com, on blogtalkradio.com, and we will see you next time. One quick uh, thank you, of course, and that goes out to our guest, Alex Newman, who's a writer for the New American Magazine. Uh, part of the John Birch Society and uh, very entertaining information that we got from him. So by all means, check out his work. And so thanks very much for joining us. We'll see you next time. 